0: super talk mississippi media production specializing in ford nissan chrysler dodge jeep and rams corinthautogroup.com and fordofcorinth.com where cars and happy drivers meet visit us now in person or online experience you deserve howdy howdy it's rhino here and i wanted to say thank you for listening to middays with gerard gibbert here on super talk mississippi
1: get ready get ready
2: and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this. Friday Eve. And a delightful one it is out there. The good Lord has stripped the humidity.
0: I got a good chuckle last night at the, the Weather Channel app because it gave yeah. me one of those notifications. like, ding, tomorrow will be noticeably warmer. It's like...
2: Three degrees is noticeably warmer. (laughs) That is not notification worthy. No. (laughs) Wow. A whole bunch of stuff happening in uh, these United States and in the great state of Mississippi. We thank you so much for tuning in today, Dr. Ben Burnett, president of William Carey University. Will join us at ten thirty-seven. And then Brittany McClendon, communications manager for the Grammy Museum of Mississippi up at twelve oh five. And don't forget, Rhino, I'm traveling south tomorrow. Tomorrow, I along with the Super Talk Eagle Hour will be broadcasting from the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum at Camp Shelby in Hattiesburg. We are celebrating, of course, Memorial Day with a museum and a Mississippi National Guard officials it's a special day and Camp Shelby is a special place so tune in tomorrow as we honor and remember Mississippians who have made the ultimate sacrifice for our nation and that's what we do on Memorial Day we remember we give gratitude and thanks to those who did sacrifice for our great country, for our great nation. We should always be grateful. It's, it's maddening, is it not, when so many people take for granted the freedoms, the prosperity, the quality of life we enjoy here. We got our warts. We got our problems. Sure, we do. And we don't seem to get along <laughs> to a great extent, um, certainly from a philosophical perspective. We have different views and approaches of how to make our nation better. And so many people, you hear Rhino on the right say, well, the left's intentionally trying to destroy the nation. And and that's understandable.
0: I mean, it's what they say they're trying to do.
2: We have to decolonize. We have to deconstruct. We have to tear
0: down the establishment.
2: I, I hear you. Agree. And, uh, however, they don't see that as destructive. They see that as improvement. Well, no, the bad guys in any movie never think they're the bad guys. (laughs) So I heard him this morning. The left, someone from the uh, progressive squad group, not sure which one it was. I think it may have been Jayapal, said... Republicans are trying to destroy the nation, so you got the folks on the left saying, those of us on the right, we're trying to take the country down, those of us on the right, we're saying the left is, oh, there's so, so much alignment of viewpoints, it's, um, I'm laughing because we're just in separate corners, we really are, in the boxing ring, so to speak. Meantime, could you find, please, the video sound of uh, Stacey Abrams? We may have shared that with the group, I think it was yesterday, with our audience. And um, her focusing on the great state of Mississippi. She thinks that Mississippi is up for grabs for the Democrats. Sees a path to Public Service Commissioner for the Northern District, Brandon Presley, a candidate for governor for Mississippi. You got that? See what she says here. Which southern state do you think is ripest for the, for the sort of transformation uh, you helped accomplish in Georgia? And second, tell us about the novel.
1: Thank you. Well, I think that we have an exciting set of elections coming up in Mississippi with Brandon Presley running against a very weakened Tate Reeves. I think that Andy Bashir is going to put on a very credible race against Daniel Cameron. He has been a strong governor, and that is a real opportunity. And because these are off-year elections, I think it's an important, it's very important that we pay attention to these two southern states that we invest heavily in their success.
2: Hmm. Why does she want to poke her nose in this state? Shouldn't she be concerned about her own situation there in Georgia?
0: Because it makes her money.
2: I'm afraid you're right.
0: She gets paid exorbitant amounts of money to sit there and smile like an idiot wait, and a now. spouse stupidity. Because it's not like she's a winner.
2: Well, wait. Uh, she's a black female, right? Right. At least to those of us that <laughs> have the ability to discern with our eyes and our brain, um, I didn't think it was possible to make money, black females. I thought the deck was stacked, oppressed, you well, know, yeah, all that sort of they're stuff. They're
0: obviously oppressed.
2: Right. So you get The View, ladies, right, sitting around talking about DeSantis. They're going crazy on DeSantis. And uh, our old friend, the race lady, Joy Reed at MSNBC, <laughs> Fascism on DeSantis. And just talking about, once again, the oppression of BIPOC people in this country. We looked it up. She makes, what, a million and a half a year? Went to Harvard. Oh, she's so oppressed. Has a primetime television show on a network. I don't know how many hundred people watch it.
0: They all have to be miserable, (laughs) sad sacks. (laughs)
2: It's the the view. They're all gazillionaires. And oh yeah,
0: the ultimate irony of Joy Behar saying that Tim Scott and Clarence Thomas don't really understand racism in America. Right. They're outliers. Coming from a white Jewish lady raised in affluent neighborhoods <laughs> and got away with blackface in her youth.
2: Believe them. that's true. You saw this report where BLM paid their executives millions though. They're $9 million in the red for last year, according to their tax Wait filings. Wait a second.
0: Black Lives <laughs> Matter was a scam? <laughs> Say it ain't so.
2: Where's the outrage from the squad and the progressives in Congress and so forth about the executives pocketing all the money, but in this case... Unlike the private sector companies they always like to blast, these folks are losing money. The people that they typically like to target... they they don't lose lose. it. They
0: pocket it. Well,
2: that's true. They, They shook down donors, many of whom are private corporations who do it for their woke insurance premium. Unbelievable. So, so if right. you took the
0: time two or three years ago to change your profile picture to a black square for Black Lives Matter, I hope you feel dumber today <laughs> because you were dumb then and you're
2: dumb now. They took in last year about eight and a half million, but they spent seventeen million. Now you know why we're seventeen. Uh, pardon me, thirty-one trillion in debt. <laughs> Unbelievable. 1.69 million was paid for quote management and consulting services. That's a company owned by Shalemiah Bowers. Remember Patrice Colors, the uh, embattled former leader of the organization who lives in four million dollar house in L.A. with a, in a gated neighborhood, something to that effect, but was espousing the oppression. And discrimination against black people in this country. (laughs) While she's cozy behind her $4 million mansion. Send me money so I can fight for the little guy. (laughs) What a hoax. What a joke.
0: And the saddest part of all of us is this isn't even the first generation of race pimps. Yeah. This is just the latest iteration of the Al Sharptons and the Jesse Jacksons of the world. It's true. Who show up. Take money
2: and do no good. Very true. Just a shakedown. And uh, and then yesterday, as expected, after the show, Governor Ron, by the way, he pronounces it DeSantis. So we need to pronounce it according to the way the person himself, unlike Donald Trump, who's never said DeSantis or DeSantis Which, ever when referring to him.
0: Remember just a few short 24 hours ago. When I said he needs to start working on the first name. Oh, yeah, exactly. Agree. I guess former President Trump is listening to Middays. Yes, because he did, didn't he? Because
2: now it's Rob. Rob. I saw that. And, in fact, we'll cite for you exactly what the president said, the former president said, about Rob. (laughs) When we come back, it's a little bizarre, I thought. We're in the Element Well Studios just getting started on middays, taking a break right here with Jimmy Buffett bumping us out. And we're coming right back.
1: with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go.
2: We are back in the Element Well Studios. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. Gary from Tishomingo on the ceasefire text line. Thank the Lord she left. She did come here, didn't she? Talking about Stacy Abrams. Was that when was that? She came for something, it seems. But she hasn't been here recently. This was just a, a recorded video interview we played for you there. Her comments about the. The governor's race here in the great state of Mississippi, which is certainly heating up, as are all the other races as well. So Trump did, in fact, respond to the uh, announcement by Governor Ron DeSantis that he is a candidate. <laughs> Here's what he said. Wow, the DeSantis Twitter he loves to capitalize words, it, it, always incorrectly, though. In this case, Twitter is in all caps. Launch is a, in all caps, disaster. His whole campaign will be a disaster. Watch, he exclaimed. That was on his true social network. So what the president is referring to is there were technical glitches that delayed the announcement on Twitter spaces. It's kind of a Twitter equivalent to Webex and Zoom and web conferencing tools, applications, about 20 minutes. Finally had to abandon that idea. It was because it was overwhelmed with traffic. This was complete miscalculation on the part of Twitter's engineering team. Having been in that business, guess what you got to do about 8,000 times? Test. It's called load testing. Didn't do that evidently. You know they well, were Apparently they did
0: but they did it with the baseline of Elon Musk's appearance in Spaces the first appearance in Spaces after he bought Twitter and took it over which saw roughly 300,000 people show up. This was two and a half that. The, the problem was this was over 700,000 people and they hadn't prepared for
2: that much. A miscalculation. Oh yeah. A lot of people. Now, it's in fairness It was a bunch of trolls that couldn't wait to get on there, you know that, and air out all their grievances. Look at me, I'm important, I'm blessed in that presidential candidate.
0: Oh, it's the same people that had the notifications for Trump's account turned on so they could be the first to be snarky. (laughs) It's true. It's a
2: miserable life, being a liberal. (laughs) So listen, you're right about that. So listen to this, though, folks. This, I thought, was a little bizarre from the former president. He said, as Rhino said in the last segment and yesterday, Rhino pointed out, he's going to have to come up with some sort of play on the DeSantis' first name, DeSantis, I should say, of Ron. He needs to come up with a play on that. And he did. He called him Rob. Rob. Rob, my red button is bigger, said the former president, better, stronger, and is working. IN ALL CAPS AND PARENTHESES AND AN EXCLAMATION POINT TRUTH YOURS DOES NOT HE EXCLAIMED <laughs> GET THIS IN PARENTHESES THE FORMER PRESIDENT SAID PER MY CONVERSATION WITH KIM JONG UN OF NORTH KOREA SOON TO BECOME MY FRIEND THAT'S WHAT DOES THAT MEAN HE'S get, <laughs> HE LIKES TO CALL EVERYBODY'S FRIEND EVEN BRUTAL COMMUNIST DICTATORS <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Trump tweeted in January 2018, I had forgotten about that, that the, quote, nuclear button, unquote, in Washington, D.C., was, quote, much bigger and more powerful than the North Korean dictators, and my button works, he exclaimed. Oh, wow. Wow. If so, I'm not
0: mistaken, that was after North Korea blew the top of a mountain out trying to test nuclear
2: weapons and killed about half their nuclear scientists. Yes, that is right. And my, that's where he came, came up with the, and mine works, refrain. Donald Trump Jr., the eldest son of the former president, he went to Twitter to ridicule his father's rival, Ron a.k.a. Rob DeSantis, for the GOP nomination. The uh, president's son described him and his launch as a, quote, (laughs) disaster. Oh, man, keep on rolling out the nicknames. We'll have fun with that. There's no end in sight to the pejoratives the Trump family can come up with. It's, uh, it's going to be fun, no doubt about it. Now, polls prior to the announcement have Trump way out front, by the way. Uh, I think I got the latest data right here for you. 53% in the primary. This would be Republican primary voters who were polled. Governor Ron, a.k.a. Rob DeSantis, at 20%. Mike Pence at 5 Nikki Haley, 4 Vivek Ramaswamy, four, and Senator Tim Scott at two. So he's lapping the field there, is the president. Now, this is prior to the launch, so we shall see what happens after the launch. I did also catch Congressman Massey, Thomas Massey, from the great state of Kentucky. I caught him... Um, in an interview last night, he's a big DeSantis supporter. He said Trump called him out because he would not support the various COVID relief measures. The Cares Act, for example. I'm, I I want to say he may have been the only who voted against him. it. It was maybe one It was or a two. handful. It wasn't many. No. I mean it was negligible. Uh, So he pointed, and and apparently Trump went after him on that. And so he also made the statement last night in the interview that all that spending in the final year of Trump's presidency is a big factor in the inflation and the high interest rates that inflation has driven. And so he's not on board. With the president, I also caught an interview with Ron DeSantis last night. I thought it was excellent, by the way. If you guys saw it with Trey Gowdy, and the reason I thought it was good, Rhino, is because they focused on policy, and we got a, a, I think, a very good, strong view into DeSantis's policy positions. And he asked him, "What's the first thing a governor?" Uh, pardon me, a president, Ron DeSantis, would do. And he said the border. He would address the border immediately, reinstate the return to Mexico policies, finish the wall. And that sounded a bit like Trump, but it's not like there are a myriad of approaches here. He said finish the wall, utilize technology, all of the above, mobilize the government's assets and resources to gain control of the border. Totally agree. And uh, so that was his first thing. And guess what? On the economic front, same thing we've been saying here on the program, which I was I was glad to hear. We got to pass this HR1. We got to get the hell out of the way of the American energy industry. That is critical to our economy. And third on the list, I think this is important to those of us in Mississippi, school choice. He wants, essentially, federal law to enact, enable school choice. I don't exactly know how that would work, and he didn't get into the details of that yet to be revealed of how to implement that, because that's obviously done on a state-by-state basis. The latest, Nebraska. Very close. At this point, you're probably aware of North Carolina, where the goofy governor over there. It's a state of emergency. Yeah, school choice. Now, there's a right and a wrong way to do this, and maybe their bill could stand some improvement. But the biggest thing people get really bent out of shape about is you're taking public money, allowing that to follow the student to the education setting of their choosing. Oh, my gosh, it might go to a private school. Well, think about this. Those who do go to a private school, send their kids, they're paying taxes to fund the public schools and then doubling up, essentially, and paying tuition to attend the private schools. And, in fact, if they sent their kids to the public schools, It would put more financial pressure on the public schools. They're actually relieving, to some extent, the cost, because the money still goes to the public schools that they pay in terms of taxes. And arguably pay more taxes because they typically have more costly more valuable assets that come with them, a higher property tax tag, which is how schools are generally funded at the local level. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming right back with Dr. Ben Burnett from William Carey University.
1: Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi.
0: This town ain't small, it's a little of both, they
2: say. Our ball club may be minor league, but at least it's triple A. Welcome back, everyone. We are in the Element Wealth Studios. It's midday. Joining us now, Dr. Ben Burnett, president of William Carey University. I see what you did there, Rhino. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Burnett. How are you, sir?
3: Hey, I'm Greg Gerard. Thanks for having me this morning.
2: You bet. So, first, let's talk about uh, the Crusader baseball team. What a year they have had and uh, headed to the NAIA World Series.
3: Uh, It's been a tremendous year, indeed. We have 18 uh, varsity sports here at William Carey University, and uh, they've all had an incredible year, uh, with many of them making it to their national tournament. But the baseball uh, has been a mainstay at William Carey for really our whole sports uh, history here, and you probably know some of that history. Sure. Uh, and it's been a banner year for them. Uh, this is our fourth trip to the World Series as a program. Uh, we've, I think that's probably the most trips to the respective World Series of any university in the, in the state uh, to go four times, so very proud of them.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely awesome. Tell us about the great things happening at William Carey. I guess I'll start by just mentioning that the College of Osteopathic Medicine is nationally acclaimed. Uh, unbelievable job you guys do there.
3: Well, well, it tr- truly is. That started with the vision of my predecessor, Dr. Tommy King, the longtime president of William Carey, who retired last year. Uh, and, you know, for a program to get that kind of national attention, you would think it's been around, you know, decades and decades. But uh, in truth, we've only graduated 10 classes from the uh, medical school here, and they're ranked number one in the country by U.S. News and World Report for placing doctors in rural areas, which, you know, I'm a, I'm a native Mississippian. I was born in the Delta and grew up in, uh, all my life, mostly in Hattiesburg. Uh, and rural areas are very uh, special to me. Uh, and to know that we're placing doctors in rural areas, which is our mission, really, really means a lot. Uh, so ranked number one in that area, but ranked in the top 100 in the country.
2: Unbelievable. Uh,
3: and now uh, have double, doubled our class size. So uh, in two more years, we'll be graduating 200 a year.
2: Wow. So, that is just incredible. Uh, the, the, and Dr. Subaru has been that. a big part of that as well, right? He he leads the uh, the school,
3: right? Uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, Dr. Subarau became our dean several years ago, and I think he'll be the first to tell you that he's uh, uh, building on the work uh, of the previous deans to him, just like I'm building on the work of Dr. King and other presidents before him. Uh, but Dr. Subarau has a real heart. For Mississippi, he came to Mississippi first as an emergency response doctor after Katrina hmm. and uh, then decided later uh, to leave a very prestigious job he had in Chicago to come back to Mississippi and work for us full time uh, as associate dean and uh, one of our professors. So he does a great job. His passion is very sincere and his love for the state and what he's doing is just incredible.
2: Absolutely. As you're probably aware of. Uh, Dr. Burnett, he's been on the program a few times, always enjoy having him, yep. and, and his his passion certainly resonates whenever we visit with him. But, but besides, of course, the great uh, College of Osteopathic Medicine, you've also got uh, a number of other schools and uh, over 30 undergraduate degrees, as I recall, that are offered by right. the university.
1: Right.
3: Right. And our growth and our change in the last... Really, decade has uh, now pushed us to nearly 6,000 students. And just 10 years ago, we were barely over 3,000. So uh, we have kind of launched into more of a national prominence. And um, part of that is our pharmacy school. We have a fully accredited pharmacy school at our Biloxi campus. And our Biloxi campus is growing uh, with over 1,000 students uh, at that campus. So we're very very proud of that. And also, we have a doctorate in physical therapy and a huge nursing program um, which uh, just received a top five ranking in the country with our phd program in nursing so the the medical uh, focus of the university has certainly kind of rebranded us from a statewide perspective but i heard you mentioning uh, uh, the school business earlier and i don't know if you know this about my history but i'm a retired school superintendent in public schools in mississippi i spent 28 years in k-12 before retiring and coming to Cary a decade ago. Um, and we're very proud of the fact that we are helping with the teacher shortage here at, at William Carey University. We graduate uh, every year between five and six hundred. Uh, actually, last summer, it was over six hundred in the School of Education, graduate and undergraduate combined, which is the largest in the state of any public or private institution. So we feel like that we are placing people where Mississippi needs them, and that's in the nursing profession and the medical profession as doctors, uh, pharmacists, and uh, teachers and school leaders. So it's a lot to get excited about here.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that that rundown there, uh, Dr. Burnett, are all occupations that are in short supply and so desperately needed, not only in Mississippi, but across the country, as you know. Uh, That's right. And so it's good work by the university to have those curricula. Uh, in place, uh, again, rather than so many colleges, which have seemed to kind of gone off the rails a little bit, honestly, and and offer uh, curricula that maybe they're not as valuable to to a graduate when they go out to the workplace. I suspect that with these kinds of uh, degrees, most of your graduates do not exercise any, uh, or I'm sure, uh, I'm sorry, experience any difficulty locating work.
3: No, not not in those uh, careers because a nurse could get a job in 50 places in, in, one, in one day. Uh, and, of course, our teachers who graduate have jobs before they even walk across the stage because <laughs> wherever they student teach, for the most part, has hired them. So uh, two things about uh, William Carey, uh, just at our core. We're going to stay true to our Christian mission and being a Christian university. Uh, we'll never leave that. And we are, as you said, contributing directly to what the state of Mississippi needs. And uh, that's that's a huge passion of mine. Uh, my mom and dad are both, are both from Mississippi and uh, rural Mississippi. And uh, I, I just feel like giving back to the state uh, is what I'm called to do and just very blessed to do. A couple of things about the baseball team getting back to to yeah. World Series. They'll they'll be uh, competing tomorrow. 3:05 is the game time in Lewiston, Idaho, but that'll be five o'clock our time. And I believe Super Talk is going to be uh, running that, or at least out of the Hattiesburg station. Yep. And also it'll be live streamed that you can go out there. I, I plan on making the long uh, plane journey on Sunday. To Idaho. Actually, I had to fly into Spokane, Washington. But uh, this team is very special, as you mentioned. Uh, Sixteen uh, the players are from Mississippi, so we didn't just import all these players or, you know, go get them somewhere. They're homegrown folks. Yeah. As well as the coaching staff, Bobby Halford uh, has been with us for forty-eight years. Wow. As an assistant, or 38, 38 years as a, as the head coach. Uh, he has twelve hundred ninety-eight wins. So if he wins tomorrow and then wins on the game Monday when I'll be out there, that'll be his 1,300th win, more wins than any other college coach uh, in a Mississippi school in the history of baseball in Mississippi.
2: That's awesome. Congratulations. Fantastic Sorry. success. And representing the state of Mississippi uh, well. Uh, Dr. Burnett, we and we certainly appreciate yeah. that. We know you've got a uh, high-quality high student population, and that includes those who participate in sports and on the baseball team. We appreciate that. Uh,
3: uh, abs- absolutely. We're most proud of our athletic program. We have a lot of national championships to our, our credit, and uh, this year has been a, probably our most successful year ever. But the biggest thing we're proud of is uh, the, the percentage of our graduation rate over the last seven years our athletes if they play all four years of their eligibility with us we have graduated 99.9 percent of them and so if That's an awesome. athlete comes and stays with us and play and plays out their eligibility more and winning a national championship uh, we are graduating them so they can go on and contribute at the next level
2: and it's difficult enough uh, to just buckle down and produce in the classroom when you're not playing sports but it's even doubly <laughs> difficult when you are, so that's a testament right. to your systems right. uh, and your kids that understand
3: absolutely. that. Absolutely, probably, probably the sport that gives the most recognition here is our women's soccer team because they've, yeah. they have a recent national championship. They've not been out of the top five since t- 2017 um, in, in the country. But every morning when I pull up on campus, they start practice at either 6 or 6.30 <laughs> in the morning so when I pull up on campus in the morning, you know, they're already out there working and then going to class at 8 o'clock. Uh, so it yeah. does, no matter what school or what sport, it takes a lot to, uh, to worry about your athletic career, but also your uh, scholastic career. Yeah. Uh, and this baseball team, we have not only the player of the year in R.J. Stinson, but he was also the scholar athlete of the year. For the athletic conference. So, very, very proud of him.
2: That's awesome. And I'll just make the statement that that ability to manage one's time and excel both in the classroom and on the, on the, uh, the courts or the fields, that will carry you far in life, as you, as you know, because life is about managing Absolutely. your time as much as anything. Dr. Burnett?
0: Absolutely.
2: Thank you so much, sir, for joining us, and congratulations on all the success of the baseball team and, of course, William Carey University, a shining star for the state of Mississippi. Thanks for joining us, sir.
3: Thanks for highlighting us. We really
1: appreciate it. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: Everyone, it's midday's super talk, Mississippi. We appreciate Doctor Burnett of William Carey University, serves as the president for coming on the program. Uh, no doubt, the Hattiesburg area has fared pretty well in baseball, have they not this year, Rhino? Because we we got the Southern Miss Golden Eagles headed to the Sunbelt Conference tournament. I mean, they won their first matchup yesterday yesterday right yesterday afternoon and uh, of course i think they play again tonight at six all right i think so let me double check yeah and in the uh eagle hour this week is being broadcast from montgomery alabama where the tournament is being played at the Minor League Biscuits Stadium. Pardon me. It
0: starts at five. If it if the whole thing stays on schedule, but you know how these baseball tournaments can
2: get. That's right. Never know. But uh, congratulations to the schools in Mississippi's Pine Belt for advancing to postseason play. Unfortunately, cannot say the same about the uh, prior two years. Division I World Series champions, which are separated by about 90 to 100 miles in the state of Mississippi, they didn't do so well. Well, just have to say, wait till next year on that one, I think, huh? Wow. So, something else about Governor Ron, a.k.a. Rob, I can't stop with that one, DeSantis. He calls himself DeSantis just want you guys to know that. I heard him say his name last night. I watched his ads and, and his interview. He did. Uh, he was asked by Trey Gowdy, who, by the way, Thomas and Greenwood pointed something out that I agree with. He said, uh, what happened to Trey? He looks rough compared to 20 years ago. I noticed that as well. He did... <laughs> He did look well good. in fairness twenty years ago the yeah. guy was less than forty and now he's pushing sixty. That's true. So he's aged a bit. I, I actually believe Thomas that he looked old compared to a year ago. It just seems to me like he's changed a bit. But you never know. So the uh the question was asked, of course, of the governor now candidate for president by Trey Gowdy. What about the economy? So besides besides returning the nation to energy independence and getting the heck out of the way of the energy industry so critically needed, he was asked about the deficits. That's obviously a big topic these days because we got this debt ceiling thing still hanging out there. No resolution to that yet. Both sides dug in. Who's gonna blink? And his response, honestly, was not surprising. We spent too much money. Okay. So what do you want to cut? Same deal. Would not touch the 70% of spending that is mandatory. He pretty much focused on discretionary and said, you know, our discretionary spending has grown. Considerably. He's right about that. Uh, but really would not say that, yeah, we're going to have to address mandatory spending, so-called entitlements. A lot of people misconstrue that term, though, Rhino. You've seen that. They think entitlement means welfare. It's not. It means you're entitled to it. Social Security, Medicare, by law, you are entitled to. That's why they're called entitlements. Entitlements. So there's little clarification there that I think needs to be conveyed. Well, you could, I did a little research on this. Quick math. If we spent at the 2017 level, we could actually produce a surplus the tax revenue in 2017 was 3.3 trillion. Fast forward to today, the tax revenues have gone from 3.3 to 4.8. And this is why I get so infuriated at the left that says we're running a deficit because of the Trump tax cuts. The president did it. Oh, he does it every day, virtually. Of course, he has no clue whatsoever. He doesn't understand these numbers. I do not think he understands the intricacies of the federal budget. That's sad. You ought to have this kind of stuff committed to memory if you're in that job. That's my belief. Just as a corporate CEO has these figures embedded in their brain that they can call on at any point in time. And when you're on Wall Street or you're dealing with the investment community, if you can't, they will slash you. They will cut you to pieces. We let our elected officials get away with not knowing this stuff. We'll explain more about that when we come back. I think you'll be fascinated to hear the true numbers. Time for Fox News, Super Talk News. Stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays live from the Element Wealth Studios on this Friday Eve. And a long weekend approaches, awaits. That's after we, of course, broadcast the program tomorrow from Camp Shelby, the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum. We'll be down there, as will Super Talk Eagle Hour. From the museum, always fun down there. They do a great job. If you haven't been, it is absolutely something you need to see. Mississippi has a a storied history and a proud history of its citizens, its residents serving in the U.S. Armed Forces and conflicts for a long time. It's cool. You learn so much and stuff that I didn't know until I toured it for the first time about three years ago. Also, Rhino, i got to just share this little bit of history, personal history. Today marks 37 years that I launched my company as MicroAge of Jackson that eventually was rebranded, renamed to Venture Technologies. That occurred in around the 1999 time frame. 1986 is when we opened up for business. That was after producing a business plan on a compact luggable that weighed about 25 pounds. had a 10meg hard disk, five and a quarter inch and a five and a quarter inch floppy drive as well, a little eight- inch screen. I think it was eight inches. Monochrome, of course. And prepared a business plan using Lotus One Two Three and printed it out on a green bar paper as we called it on a little Epson dot matrix printer. One of those loud jokers. Yeah, z- 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 uh, and took that along with didn't have PowerPoint, all sorts of fancy tools to produce documents, business plans, and and so I had magazine articles from the various publications about technology and the industry, which was a fraction of itself today, and I would take that literally a stack about almost a foot high, and I'd have the paper clip to show the bankers, look, see where all this is going? And believe it or not, a few of those articles discussed artificial intelligence because it was in its infancy then. Now it's driving the dang market. You've seen NVIDIA? Nvidia folks is up uh, considerably 200 billion in market cap in 24 hours that is a record for a public company in the United States. I think in the world in terms of single day increase 200 billion what's it up now 35 40 bucks or so a share today. 20%, I think. Let me look at the latest quote on it.
0: Yeah, it's up 25%
2: a There you go. $78. One day. I'm only mad that I didn't buy more uh, about a month ago. But NVIDIA is up this much because it makes the chips that are optimized for artificial intelligence application software. And this has been the cat-and-mouse game I've observed in the industry since I started in it over 40 years ago. Hardware gets more powerful, software developers come up with more stuff. Then they run out of capacity. They run out of processing power. They run out of storage. Hey, hardware guys, we got to have more. Hardware guys make more. Software guys enhance their software and, and, and advance it. That's exactly what's happening here. So all these computers we're using today... Think about this, the impact this is going to have on the economy. All these computers we're using today, they're not going to be ready to fully maximize the potential of artificial intelligence, which will be embedded in virtually every piece of software, operating systems all across the various Internet applications, office applications, the gambit. Well, we're going to find that these present-day computers with the chipset and the architecture contained therein are not going to be adequate to support the new crop, the new generation of artificial intelligence-powered application software. That's why Nvidia gave guidance. This is what's driving the price. They did quite well for the quarter, but their guidance for the next quarter in terms of revenue exceeds their revenue for last year. So in a quarter of the time they expect to produce roughly the revenue they did last year. Thus the stock through the roof. It is trading now for 383 a share. I heard two analysts this morning say it's going to six hundred. In eight now, anytime you hear analysts talk about a target, typically it's expressed in terms of fifty-two weeks, a year from now. Within a year, it's going to six hundred. One said six hundred is too low. So that is pulling along with it other companies that are investing heavily in AI, Microsoft being one of them. Microsoft up today, ten bucks. Now, that's a lot for a well-established company that already has a heap of revenue. That's a bunch. That's a big jump. So, essentially, AI and the promise thereof is driving the market, and um, NVIDIA's pulling it. You know whose expense, who's paying for that, so to speak? Intel because they decided not to invest heavily. Their shares are down, their revenues are down, their guidance is down. So we might see literally an unseating of Intel as the the world's dominant maker of CPU chips. Interesting, fascinating. Uh, This is the, the beauty of capitalism on display. This is it. This is what makes this country great. I submit you couldn't do this in any other country. NVIDIA could not flourish. I don't believe they could. Just all the elements, all the ingredients necessary to produce an NVIDIA, to build an NVIDIA, to produce those chips, which, by the way, they just design them. They don't even manufacture them. They job that out. They're just the designers. Not unusual. Honestly, they decided not to enter the manufacturing phase of the business. Just design. This is pulling the market. This is why I'm so optimistic about our future. Granted, there are evil, nefarious applications bad guys are thinking about with respect to AI. But I believe in the promise and the benefit and the value to society, of this new frontier of technology. This will be more transformational, in my view, than the Internet was. This will have a greater impact. Across the gambit, everything we do, healthcare, finance, everything, manufacturing, every single industry will be positively affected. I believe that. I'm not going to mire in the doom and gloom camp. I'm just not going to do it. That's destructive. It's unproductive as well. The only thing that can stand in the way, of course, of this, the stupid government. That overregulation, always is the way. Now, do we need some sort of reasonable regulations, perhaps, on the technology? Yeah, maybe. I need to see what that looks like. Do I have confidence that our government has a clue how to do that? Negative. Oh, but we're going to bring Dianne Feinstein, and she's going to meet with the czar of AI, Kamala Harris. Don't you feel better now? A true meeting of the minds. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Think about that. Just wait till they bring, like, executives from NVIDIA to the Hill to talk about that, and then try to explain what it is they do. I look forward to that. What are do you doing? <laughs> this is exciting. This is great. And this could literally be something that fends off a brutal recession. Why is that? Because it just equals productivity. It equals supply of new technology and increases of effic- increasing efficiency throughout the spectrum of our economy. This is fantastic.
0: Innovation is always a major market driving force.
2: The only way, honestly, to solve the human dilemma of matching dwindling scarce supply with ever-increasing demands, the only way, it don't matter if it's food or it's health care or it's the staples of life, only human innovation, not government, unlike what they want you to believe. Oh, yeah, we did this, we did it. No, you didn't. The best thing you can do is get the hell out of the way to let the great private sector engine of the U.S. economy do its thing. We're coming right back as David Bowie appropriately sings "Cha Cha Changes" in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. It's
1: time. I said that time they changed me.
2: The King bumping us into this segment here on Middays. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. So I would take the stack of magazines that were paper clipped to the articles trying to make the persuasive argument of the the viability of my, my business idea. And this is the PC era, right? It's what it was and still haven't yet proliferated the business landscape at that time. 1985, we're talking about, and got the door slammed on me. Of course, I was a young man in my 20s, and at that point, you think you know everything. You're fearless. You don't even comprehend the concept of failure. You're oblivious to risk. And I went shopping for a $189,000 startup loan. I had done a business plan, and determined that was the amount of capital I needed. And, of course, that was assuming that all the stars aligned to make the company successful stand on its own and it got summarily dismissed and kicked to the curb. One one banker said, I think people have all the computers they're ever going to need. That was 85. One uh, snipped their fingernails. While I was making my presentation, my pitch, totally uninterested. But after doing that for a little over a year, I was ready to to throw in the towel and move out of state to find work for the sort of stuff I did. And my wife came to me one night in our little kitchen and said, you know, I've been tracking this uh, with my my parents, my in-laws. And presented the dilemma problem is I didn't have anything to secure that loan didn't have any collateral didn't realize at the time that was needed and uh, her in-law my in-laws her parents very graciously offered some property they had accumulated in their family for some time they were a very modest means my father-in-law sold cars at D Chevrolet and my mother-in-law was at at Keesler Air Force Base And had made this investment, this property, and paid on it, thinking it would be worth something and support their retirement. They deeded that to me, and I foolishly accepted it and secured the startup loan with that property and then operated. It was a seven-year note. Paid that thing off, thank God, five years, put every extra dime we had to the principal of that loan, and it was a happy day when I presented that deed back to them, knowing that I didn't have to concern myself with the specter of failure. Take me down, that's fine. But didn't want to squander my in-laws' asset. And that was uh, a happy day. But the rest is history. We operated the company through the the um, introduction of networking before there was an Internet. We were one of the first in the country connecting computers to each other in the mid-'80s. That was that was sort of uh, advanced technology back then and didn't always work real well either, um, you can imagine. And then through the Internet build-out, the Y2K era, and then built the data center, one of the first commercial data centers in the country, offering cloud services before the term was invented, and that was in 2000, endured and by the way, that was by far the darkest period of business in our history that I can remember, more so than the recession of 2008, which didn't really affect us here in Mississippi as significantly as it did in other parts of the country. But 9-11 brought everything to a standstill. People were just hunkered down. Companies weren't making capital investments in big long-term projects, which is how we made our living And then went to the street thinking that the industry was significantly grossly fragmented, needed consolidation, went to Wall Street, once again got kicked to the curb in presenting a consolidation strategy, looking for financial support for that to acquire companies. And that was in the 2008-9 time frame. Got back at it 2012 because I was... I came across somebody that believed in our story and liked the idea but thought we needed to continue to beef up our recurring revenue, which we were working on diligently, got back together, said, yeah, I think we can sell this, went back to the Wall Street, the financial community, made the pitches, received term sheets, selected one of those, did a couple of acquisitions in fourteen, and then three more after that, up through 2017. The board elected at that point, the board consisted of owners of the companies that had merged in with the platform, rolling their equity, and they voted to, including me, I did not vote for, affirmatively, to sell the company, but on a 4-3 vote, the decision was made, let's sell the company, and uh, we hired an, an investment banker to represent us after receiving presentations and proposals from about a dozen. A two-day period, we, we did a bake-off, selected one, DNH Capital out of New York, marketed the company, and then ultimately sold it to a strategic buyer, announced in November 18, completed the transaction in January 19. So that pretty much put uh, an end to, I guess, my 33-year business career. And then was very blessed to land in this spot. The way in which that occurs is quite sad. The great J.T. Williamson, who was fantastic at this, who could never be replaced. So I'm blessed to carry the mantle with you, Rhino, and having a good time with that. appreciate the opportunity. Here we are. So anyhow, it's 37 years when it all started for me, 1986. Gosh, hard to look back on that. The best is yet to come. NVIDIA on fire. $79, 26%, in one day $200 billion. There's two individuals who are the principal founders of that company that own a good chunk of the stock. I wonder what their balance sheet looks like today. <laughs> That's incredible. It's great, though. So we should celebrate American capitalism and innovation. That's the point. You fools in Washington that want to tear it down, They criticize it, condemn it, complain about it. Oh, my gosh, they're getting rich. They're getting rich because they're producing stuff we all want to buy. Why don't they get that simple concept? Somebody on the C text line says, that's funny. He said, um, oh, pardon me, nothing like the rich getting richer and Mississippi getting poorer and poorer. You and Rhino are fine, though. We know you could care less about addressing poverty in the state. What a joke. Somebody ain't happy.
0: There's a ton of jobs you can go get and work yourself out of poverty. Poverty, and for the most part, comes from
2: laziness or ignorance. Right. Unbelievable. Well, you know, here's what I say about the poverty. The best thing I think I could do to address poverty is, is create a, take a risk to create a business, to produce jobs. The best thing that workers can do is go to work. That's what we're both doing here. <laughs> That's what's going on. That's how we address poverty. And guess what? This is the piece they don't get. The work we do here... It creates jobs for a lot of people. That's the way work. That's the way the system works in a free market economy. I think about my business and all the people who benefited from the risk that, not just me, all entrepreneurs take, the backbone of the American economic engine. Think about all the people that benefit when that happens. Here's what I know. When I launch my business, you're probably not surprised at this, for like the next month, I was inundated with people trying to sell me something that I needed, honestly. It was a matter of just choosing. You think about all the things you got to have to run a business now? It's a long list. So when you see new business form, when you see business expand, you may not a- agree with the concept of so-called trickle-down economics, whatever that is, but I know this, a whole lot of people are selling you stuff because you're producing for the economy and they benefit from it. And the other thing is, that's funny. You know the majority of breakthroughs were backed by public funding. That's completely untrue, and it is a a false line. The left loves to tell that is garbage, that is horse hockey. And even so, guess where public funding comes from? Public, the public. It's the people that pay the taxes. Unbelievable how they don't get this.
0: Not the people in poverty that just take. Right. Don't actually pay in.
2: Or even Don't more. have any
0: skin in the game.
2: Or moreover, the Joe Bidens and Bernie Sanders of the world that have never signed the front of a check. They're leeches. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios.
1: fan, it's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: Get running. We are back in the Element yeah, well, well Studios. Away. Steppenwolf. You gotta love driving to that tune, huh? There's some songs that are really good to drive to. That's one of them. You just gotta be careful.
0: Yeah, you do. Don't let it get carried away.
2: (laughs) That's right. it's so right about that. Gary from Tishomingo says I was in the finance business back then and was introduced to the Access system. So I thought he might be talking about Microsoft Access, but he says I uh, think so. I really liked it once I got used to. It, it was the first system that gave us twenty-four hour access to other office branches. So I think what Gary's talking about is remote access technology. That um, so prior to. The internet and cloud systems that we are used to today, which you just log on the internet and run applications. Back then, if you wanted access to the corporate software portfolio, which was housed and hosted on corporate uh, server assets on their premises, and you wanted to access those remotely, you could do that through. Common tools, PC Anywhere is is one that was pretty widely used. Citrix is another company. We use that that product quite a bit. There was a company most people may not recall called U.S. Robotics, and they made modems, and they made modem banks, like instead of having little uh, self-contained box that was a modem. You'd have like a rack-mounted bank of a bunch of them. That was how we used to access the Internet in the early days, through dial-up. You had your dial-up modem. You'd dial a phone number. It would connect, get routed to one of the modems in those banks. I helped build an ISP locally, one of the first in the the state, and it was all done with U.S. Robotics (laughs) modem technology, ultimately acquired by 3Com Corporation. But, yes, so that's the way you had to access the corporate... Systems was so you'd, you'd log on to your PC and fire up your PC anywhere. Or, oh, there was a number of other tools. So, you know, Representative Joel Bumgar, so he that's his sort of claim to fame. His business background is he created the, the Bumgar Box, which is kind of a, an Internet-based remote support technology. It was really made for corporations to remotely support their users. And uh, he was one of the first out of the gates with that proprietary technology to do so and sold it all over the place to corporate America that make IT support engineers' lives a little easier. Instead of you explaining, well, this is what I'm seeing on the screen. Oh, I don't know about that. You're trying (laughs) trying to interpret that and help them fix the problem and then telling them, well, type in all this cryptic stuff, you know, out in the command line. Oh, you got the slash backwards. That's why it didn't work. And that's what this technology allowed them to do, is essentially take over the remote user's computer and make the fix and help them out, move them on, get them all taken care of. Dan in Hattiesburg says, And a 25 increase in a day is why the Democrats want to tax unrealized gains, talking about NVIDIA well, they just don't like wealth, period, let's be honest, Dan, and and they think that anybody that makes money in, in the market or benefits financially from um, increases in market valuations or increases in equity positions, it's all the rich people. It's not you and your 401k plan, for example. It's not the overall economy that benefits from these sorts of increases in market valuations no 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 it's just those handful of rich people we got to go take all their money
0: which is the irony of them using the word fair when they say pay their That's fair true. share because <laughs> is it really fair to tax them when they make money but they're not getting jack squat when they lose the same amount
2: negative nor is it fair to tax them when there's no cash to show for the gain it's all on paper Speak the truth, brother, says John from Vance. Lazy people are the problem with our economy. Blaine and Jackson said, you nailed it, Rhino. Good show today, fellas, as always, preaching the truth, says Tim from Tupelo. I love hearing your story, Gerard. Appreciate that. Uh, Thank you. I hope I didn't bore folks with that. You know, and I don't tell it to, to boast about it. I tell it because I think... It represents, it reflects what is possible in this country and only in this country. Just as only in this country is it possible for Tim Scott, like him or not, to rise from living in poverty with his siblings and mother in a one-room house to Congress, and now a candidate. And the left hates that. Because you know what? You can be anything in this country except a black Republican or a black conservative. Can't be that. Oh, no. you got to get in your place. Well, that's racist.
0: Democrats have always been the party of racism. They just try to convince you otherwise.
2: It's ridiculous. What was the name of your company again, Gerard Kelso and Ocean Springs? Yeah, Venture Technologies. You could... um, you go out and Google it, find all kind of stuff about it. It's pretty much. I got nothing to hide. My life's history is out there on the internet because my life's history is my business resume. And all you got to do is go, go Google, go search for Venture, including the press release of the sale of the company because the company that bought ours was public at the time, and so by law, there's some financial details disclosed when a public company even though they're buying a private company when that occurs so this is interesting on the C Spire text line uh worth de Perrier I think I pronounced it right did I not worth i, I remember this worth by the way he says Mr Catul that was my partner for a long time hired me the month before 911 because I was just talking about how 911 the bottom dropped out people just went to a standstill we're not buying anything. And our customers were large corporations," he said. Yeah, because
0: you go back to that point in time, and not even in not even just focusing on the world of business, but just looking at the world in general, there was a lot of unease. There was a lot of things up in the air, and a lot of people worried that this was the first step in something bigger.
2: No doubt. That's it. and so people just hunkered down. We're not doing anything. We're scared. How could you not be? To witness that on our soil. He said, I was to start in October. Of course, it happened in September. We hired, we uh, apparently extended an offer. I remember this worth. He said, Y'all rescinded the offer, yet paid me $5,000. One of the classier acts I've experienced. I was the sales manager at Air, the number two land. I totally remember that worth. I had forgotten until you pointed it out, but I did. We just thought that was fair. See, this is the market. You treat somebody, you have an opportunity to do the right thing, you don't benefit from that directly. This is what the left doesn't get. They just don't think stuff like this happens. It's not just my company. There are great companies out there that take care of their people constantly. That Those stories never make it into the news. It's always, you're exploiting, you're oppressing, you're abusing. Bull. So you do something like this, you will be rewarded. The market, it just rewards you for doing the right thing and treating people right. I posted this story about our company this morning, and the thing on my Facebook, and the thing that, is most gratifying is the number of folks that work for our company that I'm connected to that weighed in and it's just no big deal just treat people right that ain't hard it's just all there is to it the market will punish you if you don't reward you if you do it's a very simple concept very simple concept and that's it's so good to see when folks say they had a good experience. We got that. You got to treat them right. If you do, they'll treat you right. People that work for companies like that, they know exactly what I'm talking about. The left doesn't think so. They think they got to insert their grubby little hands into the boardrooms, into your your employee handbooks and your contracts and your pay and your benefits. We got to do it because you know, those those dirty, greedy capitalists, they're going to... They're going to oppress you, abuse you. No, because the market will punish your butt if you do that. Man, oh, man. Jeff at the Reds, thankful for you and what venture technologies did for our state. I grew up poor as dirt in Monroe County, ate government cheese sandwiches, worked hard, made some good investments, and was able to create generational wealth here in Mississippi. Can't stand when someone calls me privilege. Fantastic story, Jeff. Thank you for sharing that. Totally agree. Awesome. I love when you get fired up. Sleepy Joe might wake up. He can hear you preach the truth. I'd love to have a conversation with Sleepy Joe. You know I would be nothing but respectful. I would stay calm, unlike what we do here on the show. That's part of the deal. But we need to have a heart-to-heart conversation that involves the truth. I got to get back on this deal with the Democrats running around blasting the Trump tax cuts as the exclusive cause of our deficit. They're just mathematically wrong, and they got to be called out on it. We're stepping aside for a break right here on middays, coming back. And then after the top of the hour, it's Brittany McClendon, the communications manager with the Grammy Museum of Mississippi. We're back. We are in the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income growth and guarantees. The calls for Diane Feinstein to resign are growing a bit louder. She needs to. Folks, the NASDAQ is up. Mainly because of NVIDIA, and it's pulling up, by the way, the other AI uh, issues, such as Microsoft. um, C3 AI is another one. Uh, Another one is Splunk. 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 Yeah. We were a Splunk partner, one of the first in the country. Uh, Fascinating technology, uses um, machine learning to really guide all sorts of of uh, network management, and uh, also just traffic routing and so forth. Really cool technology, Splunk. What a name, huh? Cool. Yeah, I'd, uh, when the Splunk rep would come see me and <laughs> my team, i get a call from my receptionist. Hey, Gerard, the Splunk rep's here. <laughs> Great company, though. You looking at it? Splunk. It's had a pretty good run. What does it say they do? Oh, it's got a
0: litany of things they take care of. Its software helps capture, index, and correlate real-time data in a searchable repository from which it can generate graphs, reports, alerts, dashboards, and
2: visualizations. Got it. So basically, uh, at the highest level, all this network infrastructure that connects all these computers together and allows all of our data to be transmitted across our networks, across the Internet, all your infrastructure, we're talking about the routers, the switches, the servers, and all the other adjunct technology, they collect all sorts of data. They log it, the activity, and that can be instructive um, in managing your network and it could be instructive in your applications as well, the way those are designed, architected, built, used, accessed. And so what that tool does is it it takes that mountain of data in all those devices and it sort of correlates that, and it's AI-driven. It's been around a while, and it keeps getting better, and it it basically, like they said, produces reports and dashboards for network managers and the like to, uh, to utilize to just make their systems better.
0: Yeah, it says it was founded in October of 2003. By 2007, they had raised $40 million, but they did not become profitable until 2009. Okay.
2: I think in the in that 2005 or so time frame, as I recall, is when we got connected to Splunk and started offering their technology. We had some large corporations and public sector entities that uh, used it. It's neat, neat technology. There, there was a case study, it may still be out there, Rhino, that they used to feature that involved management of using Splunk to help manage the port of Hong Kong. And it was using machine-to-machine communications. Literally, the ships approaching the port would communicate with the port's systems, and Splunk would uh, process that data and, like, make recommendations to the port managers of how to manage the traffic coming in. That's an example. So yeah,
0: another example of their use is they have partnered with the McLaren Formula One team.
2: S- probably same deal, right? Just oh, yeah. Sifting through this, it's it's basically, there's a lot of valuable data here, but I ain't got time to sift through it. That's really what this tool does. So it extracts and processes and, con- and consumes all that data for you and then presents it into some meaningful... Instructional, actionable format. Thus, to, through dashboards and reports and so forth. Really cool. Splunk. There you go. Stephen the Delta says, "Yeah, talking about uh, Telnet. That's the remote access on PCs." And so uh, that actually was, I think, invented in the '60s. If I'm not mistaken, it's just a what's called a TCP/IP protocol. The sort of original, and still the protocol that is used to move data around the internet around wires between computers essentially yeah cool tell tell about the y2k scare i was at worldcom during that and measures we had to calm our customers says jimbo yeah that was that was crazy um what's amazing now is when i was up at old miss a few weeks ago talking to the accounting students they weren't born yet which is incredible. Uh, that that was a big old deal, and yes, it is absolutely true, despite what a lot of naysayers say and believe, that the legacy systems had two-digit year. I coded lots of those software programs that did that. I was We just didn't think, why would we need to put the 19 in front of that, or more space to put the, the handle of the century in front of that? Didn't need that. That's a waste of time in storage, which was... Expensive back then. Uh oh, that don't work when we pass in at 2000. We had to go to work and fix that problem. We're taking a break for Fox News and Super Talk News, hour three of the program next with Brittany McClendon from Mississippi's Grammy Museum.
1: And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to Middays. We are in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day again on this Friday Eve. We are here now with Brittany McClendon, Communications Manager of the Grammy Museum of Mississippi. Brittany, thanks for joining us.
4: Hey, thanks for having me today. I appreciate it.
2: Tell us about what's going on at the Grammy Museum in Cleveland.
4: Okay. Well, it's been a busy spring. We've had a ton of things coming up this summer. We just wrapped up our third annual Women in the Round, um, and that's a program with Trisha Walker, Pam Tillis, Ashley Cleveland, and this year we had uh, Beth Nielsen-Chapman, and that's always a community favorite. Um, we're pretty busy over here with end-of-the-year field trips from schools throughout the state, uh, so that's always exciting when you're in the admin office and you can hear the roar of children in the front lobby. It's always good signs. Um, We've got visits coming up from the river cruises. We've got biking. Viking stopped by this Saturday which brought in around right under 450 guests for us which is incredible. And we've got uh, American Queen coming this Tuesday. So another big day coming up.
2: Do you find that the the summer vacation months uh, see more uh, visitors to the museum.
4: You know, it's interesting. Uh, our community members—it might be a drop because everyone's vacationing out of town, doing all those activities for the summer. But we start to see—we start to see a pickup in out-of-town visits. Um, and of course, we'll have summer programs. We've got uh, Grammy-nominated Basti Jackson coming up in June for words and music, and then we've got. A summer camp coming up which will be a week long and full of kids so uh where it might dip in school groups and maybe local visitors um we've got a influx of out of town and and programs to keep us busy
2: yeah gotcha what about uh any new exhibits that might be in the works anything to share there that you can tell us about. <laughs> uh, I can't
4: share too much. Yeah, that's the, that's the ticker. We will, MTV will be closing uh, this Father's Day. So we are so sad to see that exhibit go, but it has been such success. It's had a great run. Um, it's our largest one yet, and we'll have a new exhibit to share with everyone this August. Yeah. So it's really exciting. It's in the works. Uh, it's going to be a great, great exhibit.
2: MTV, 40 years old, right?
4: That's right. We still want our MTV.
2: Hard to believe. 40 years old. Man, seems like yesterday all that was going on. So uh, how is the museum funded?
4: We are um, privately funded, so we have, you know, different... Emily Havens, our executive director, she is ever fundraising, and we have museum memberships, we have private funders, we have community funds, and um, we also get funding through our – we have a lobbyist that helps us with different grants throughout the state, and a lot of grants are what um, make our world go round over here.
2: Got gotcha. you. What was the reason for the museum locating in uh, the the Grammy Museum of Mississippi, locating in Cleveland? What's what's the story behind that?
4: So it's actually a really remarkable story. Uh, back in the mid two thousands, um, Bob Santelli was the executive director of Grammy Museum LA Live, and he wanted to expand the brand. And he was like, you know, what better place than where music started here in Mississippi? And so they looked at some different locations, and I think what really sealed the deal for Cleveland was our partnership with Delta State University, and the museum could have a place here in a partnership with their Delta Music Institute, which has just been really impactful for us to have um, internships available with students learning, you know, production, the music business, um, and all those degrees in that area, be able to be an asset to us.
2: Yeah, gotcha. So what about uh, if uh, a group wanted to host an event at the Grammy Museum? Is that possible? How do they do that?
4: It's very possible. So... Uh, the museum is a beautiful venue and it's great for all types of corporate private events celebrations if you want to host an event here you can go to our website and we have a tab with a drop down menu for events you can email events at grammymuseumms.org and uh, fill out some paperwork give us some insight on what you're trying to do and we can give you all information to help make that happen.
2: So e- explain the connection between the museum and the uh, the Grammy Awards organization.
4: So the connection there is more so celebrating the accomplishments of Mississippians. You know, um, we have an entire exhibit called our Mississippi Music Gallery that showcases and really um, lots of people explore the impact Mississippi and Mississippians had on music and how um, how many Grammy award winners we have. I believe it's we have more per capita than any other state and just, you know, kind of explaining that this is this is the highest award in the music industry. Uh, we just had a student from Delta State win a Grammy award at this past year's and you know, and that's just a career changer yeah. for anyone to be, you know, nominated and especially win. So that's kind of what we're doing here is celebrating um, the impact of that
2: gotcha um what about uh just how mississippi right you said that we have probably more grammy awards per capita but the uh, which i believe is probably the case it's kind of amazing isn't it that we have enough history in music to fill up a museum in our small state
4: it is Yes, our museum is 28,000 square feet, and there is not, you know, a blank wall. There's information everywhere, and we're looking at expanding just because, especially in our museum, our Mississippi exhibit, there's just so much more that we could add to elaborate on. We were just able to get a new Mississippi um, interactive that shows all the different regions of Mississippi. All the Grammy um, Award nominees and winners from those areas, their songs, their impact, who was influenced by them. It's just, it's really incredible and never ending.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Brittany, do you receive visitors from other parts of the country that have have not been to Mississippi, they're not native to Mississippi, and uh, they come because the museum is a destination, exclusively to expressly to visit the museum. That's the reason they come here.
4: Yes, we have seen that. And it it was really interesting during the COVID era, we had people from all over, you know, saying, you know, we've just been trying to get to this museum and now we officially have the time. We can re- work remotely and do it. And uh, we see that now too, especially since downtown Cleveland has really developed. We've got a new Marriott hotel downtown, which, you know, we have an attraction in places for people to stay and different places for them to eat and things to do. So we've seen a pickup in that in the past few years and it's um, really exciting.
2: What do you hear? Uh, some of the comments you may hear from folks who are new to Mississippi, haven't been here. They come and experience it in the in the Mississippi Delta, and uh, visit the museum. What do they say? What do you hear?
4: They say even Mississippians will say, oh, "We had yeah. no idea this was here." Yeah, you know. And we're like, and a lot of people from out of town. So the American Queen visitors, they're from all over, all over the country, and sometimes the world. They'll they'll just be in a shock. They'll come through the exhibits and meet us back at the front desk and just say, "I had no idea Mississippi contributed this much to the music industry." Yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable.
2: That tr- truly is pretty cool, and it's and it's across all the genres as well, right?
4: Absolutely. You know, it started with blues, but blues has influenced everything from you know rock to pop to everything in between country
2: yeah all right so do you have a favorite exhibit
4: i do um mono to surround is probably my favorite exhibit and in that exhibit you can choose a song and you hear it you how it started out on the gramophone all the way up to hearing it on your headphones and how the evolution of sound has transformed throughout the years so it, that's a really cool one. And then, of course, the dance floors is, is a fun one to watch. It's a fun one to watch <laughs> guests and kids. They, they really have a good time.
2: Yeah, I, I bet. What about feedback from visitors? Do they sometimes note a particular favorite?
4: I think I would probably have to say, well, MTV, you know, kind of takes the cake. Um, here recently, everyone yeah. just... Everyone has touched my MTV in some way. Which has Even roots in Mississippi. Back. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, which was a big surprise to people. I know I hinted uh, when MTV was opening that it does have Mississippi roots, and everyone automatically went to the blues, and I was like, they're never going to guess, you know. <laughs> it's it's cool. Bob with MTV, so...
2: Got it. Brittany, appreciate you coming on and giving us an update, and uh, congratulations on all the great success of the Grammy Museum Mississippi in Cleveland, Mississippi. Thanks a lot.
4: Thank you so much for having me. Have a great Thursday.
2: You too. We're coming right back with more in the Element Wealth Studios. out of the prior segment and into this segment with two classic music video tunes for sure. Rio by Duran Duran. And uh, Simple Minds, forget about you. Don't you forget about you. Don't forget about you. You got that right? Is that the time?
0: Don't you, in parentheses, forget about me.
2: Okay, that's it. My bad. My bad. Thank you. Simple Minds. I can still see the video, though, out there on the hills with the, remember that? The drummer's awesome, though, isn't he? He's the best part of the video. (laughs) Simple Minds, appreciate that. Rhino, bumping us into this segment here. I'm wondering why the Florida governor's campaign launch was pixelated, seeing how Elon has Starlink. I don't think Starlink was used when he produced that video and uh, live.
0: Well, I mean, Spaces isn't video. Spaces
2: right. is an audio chat. Right. But he shifted over and produced a video. Correct. Which I thought we played, maybe. I can't remember. minute and a half or so. And I don't think that had anything to do with Starlink, though. Um, and that really wouldn't have anything to do, I don't think, wouldn't be connected to the resolution I don't believe that's the way that video was distributed and um, and published, even on a live basis. Yes, I know, Jerry and Waynesboro, Target lost $9 billion. I don't think it was $9 billion in a week, but they did lose some money. And that is a hot topic of a discussion for sure because Target decided to Stock in their stores some crazy uh, bathing attire, shall we say, that um, I I don't know who buys that sort of stuff, but it was even children's bathing suits were available that included little uh, pockets inside them for young males that want to hide their male anatomy so as to appear female in wearing a female bathing suit what would be traditionally considered at least a female bathing suit and um, so this is what i think has to be kept in mind here it did say yeah nine billion but that i don't think it's nine billion of Yes, market value. Was it nine billion of income? Market value, which is a little different. But nonetheless, they took a hit. A pride collection for children, LGBTQ friendly clothing for children. It's not the children, it's the parents. It's the parents that are at fault here. And though Target is certainly accommodating, they're only doing so. Because there are silly parents out there that see fit to push their children through this garbage. That's where the problem is. It's the parents that are embracing this, adopting this, full-fledged. It uh, makes you wonder. So what would cause a parent to decide to put a a small person, a child, in one of these bathing suits? What? what?
0: A greater desire for public affirmation than the desire to protect one's own child? Sure seems. For attention, you think? Oh, yeah. They're weighing attention from the woke scolds over the actual well-being of their child.
2: I mean, so if you're a a um, a small boy, a toddler, pre-K type age, three, four, five, and you just happen to maybe have an interest in a doll, do you just go run out to target, buy them a bathing suit, a female bathing suit? I mean that doesn't mean they've got gender dysphoria, right? How would they even know? How do you tell? But there, now we've got this school of thought where you've seen some healthcare professionals that say, oh, yeah, even in the mother's womb, they're dysphoric. <laughs> this is crazy. So I'll admit, I played with G.I. Joes when I was a kid. <laughs> Uh, I like to dig the holes and put them in there like they're in foxholes and stuff and, you know, like play war like we used to do back then. Well, I didn't turn out to be violent as a result of that. <laughs> is is that different?
0: That's why I don't understand the argument that video game violence and violence on TV and movies is causing a rise in violent crime. It's like, I watched all that. I played Doom well before I was supposed to be playing it on computers. I didn't turn out to be a violent psychopath. I agree. It's almost like if you're a psychopath, you're going to be a psychopath no matter what you're exposed to.
2: Uh, sure. So you you better just sit in a cave, not be exposed to anything if that's the case. The company that makes this stuff, this is what is somewhat disturbing. It's a London based company, Ab Praland. They design and sell what they call occult and satanic-themed LGBTQ plus clothing and accessories. That's crazy. Satanic. you got to double dip
0: on the edginess to really be unique, <laughs> just like everyone else.
2: Target confirmed they've moved the stuff, the pride merchandise, from the front of the stores to the back. And that was the fundamental problem. So, okay, I get it. People want to buy pride merchandise. They're customers. You want to accommodate the customers and sell stuff to them. But you're stuck in the front. And that's the, that's the problem I have with all this. It's that eye poking. we just got to poke you in the eye all the time. See? 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 That's what drives me crazy. It's yesterday DeSantis announces in the whole dang left-wing media complex, he's a fascist. He hates LGBTQ people. He's a racist. It's that kind of crap. No. Just because he doesn't want porn in a third-grader's classroom, that does not construe him to be a fascist. He bans books. Yeah, explicit pornographic books.
0: I mean, just look at the headline from Vanity Fair. Report. Ron DeSantis. Hang on, it just went away. I saw Ron that. DeSantis will formally announce his 2024 bid with Elon Musk because apparently David Duke wasn't available. <laughs> I saw that. David Duke. Touch Gorgeous. grass, Vanity Fair. <laughs> Come back to reality, because you're off in la-la land high as a kite on
2: something. They love that, don't they? They just, they had that ready, you know they had that ready to go. They didn't come up with that yesterday. They had all the brain trust sitting around, what can we do for maximum clickbait sizzle here to really put it to Rob, rob <laughs> if Trump truck him DeSantis. Oh, my gosh. I'm looking at the label on this pride-friendly merchandise. And you've seen this, right? The label shows like a little graphic of the triangular crotch portion of the swimsuit. Tuck-friendly construction. Extra crotch coverage. Incredible. For kids. Unbelievable. And then, of course, they have photos. Of the kids, the transgender kids or the gender dysphoric kids, just put the stuff on the rack. They'll find it in the store. Don't poke us in the eye with it. Incredible. I'm okay. Live your life. Leave me alone. Don't poke me in the eye. And then don't call me a fascist because I don't want to be poked in the eye. That's just upside down. So that there's no doubt that this war on wokeness, that was also a key platform as enumerated by Ron DeSantis yesterday, and he was asked how he would address that. Does he think the federal government ought to engage in such a war? Here's what he said, which I'm fine with. He said, where there are federal accreditation, where there is federal accreditation, let's say of universities, and they receive money, sure, stipulate, you can't have these sprawling, what would you tell us one day at Ohio State, 132 staff, hundred and thirty-seven in their DEI department, what is it, Michigan had more in their department, DEI department, than in the history department, at this gigantic university. Which shows you where their priorities are. Once once again, what are they doing? Poking you in the eye with it. Because you don't submit and agree to their crap. We're coming right back on Middays in the Element Well Studios.
1: Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on
2: Back in the Element Well Studios, the great Tom Petty bumping us into this segment here. We thank you so much for joining us. So the uh, yes, yeah, so Target they ain't doing so well, losing money as a result of uh, they're going super duper woke, which is really crazy. Uh, I don't know what in the heck is is going on with all that kind of stuff. I find it to be nuts, and I'm not sure why they engage, but they do. And uh, people are boycotting, exercising their right to purchase as they see fit. And that, of course, is causing problems for the retailer. Their value, stock value, having fallen considerably. And uh, $9 billion in a week. That's crazy. So, you got Bud Light now that's going out and buying back unsold stock, which is a problem for their distributors, not able to move the product. It's all because, like I said, they had to put it in your face. If they hadn't have done that, I don't think there would be a problem. But they were determined... To put it in your face. And there we are. Now they're paying for it. Just leave it alone. Just make beer. Why can't they do that? Just sell merchandise in the targets. Don't stick it up front like that. And then make a big deal out of it. And of course, the their top executive had really dismissed dismissed the uproar over the LGBTQ children's clothing. Oh, no, it's no big deal. Rainbow-colored onesies for infants and children? I don't get it. He said that marketing the products are good for business and, quote, the right thing for society. Well, that's fine, marketing the products, but, again, sticking it in our ear, that's a problem, and in our eyes. Who does this, says Mose, the spoiled generation who was never told no, wanted a girl, not a boy. Maybe so. Also remember the store clerk going to the back, yelling at the teen boys, y'all ain't supposed to be back here. Get up front, says Andy and Jackson. Dan in Hasburg says, I play with Evil Knievel. Could that be why I made some questionable decisions? <laughs> I like it golly there is um right in the delta there's always been trans clothing available at the local adult novelty store (laughs) how about that i told my dad i wanted a barbie when i was a kid i'm a male dad said do we have a problem son i said no g.i joe needs a date (laughs) I played with a $6 million man doll as a kid, and I'm pretty normal, says Steve in Gulfport. Wait,
0: you didn't want to get bionic transplants?
2: (laughs) Exactly. Just disgusting. I haven't been to Target since they had the bathroom issue years ago, says Jeff. (laughs) Yeah, I figured after the bathroom fiasco a few years ago that Target would have learned their lesson I don't think so. I mean, they recovered from that. They will from this, too. We have very short memories. And honestly, if you're looking to boycott companies because of this sort of stuff, let me know when you find one that isn't engaged in this. Maybe not to this extent where they poke you in the eyes with it, but it may be done on a little bit more... Um discreet fashion. Go to Walmart; they have a huge section on their website with all their pride stuff. Amazon, Home Depot, CRT, big time. That's uh, is pervasive. You'll have a hard time finding a a corporation in this company that hasn't completely embraced all this stuff. Bought their woke insurance.
0: Which is just one more reason to buy local.
2: Yeah, the local smaller companies, right? Mom and pop sort of owned companies, locally owned and operated. Right. The big corporations, pretty much every one of them. Uh, again, you'll have a hard time finding one that hasn't fully subscribed to, adopted it in their in their policies, in their culture. Make a big deal out of it. Brag about it. Boast about it. I was thinking about targeting their competitors. Walmart's up there. Amazon's up there. To some extent, maybe Dollar General. I'm not sure if they sell clothes. But there's an overlap between the the retailers. Um, And then I looked at, like, Kroger. I, I think one of the, if not the largest, grocer chain in the country. Safeway's another one. Every single one of them. Big time DEI and pride. Divisions, if you will, organizations within their companies. It's just, it just seems like the the rabid left almost forces you into it. They certainly, if they're not forcing; they're succumbing to the pressure, at a minimum. What are you looking at?
0: Oh, well, I'm just looking at a on this day in history, and I was like, wow, I don't remember that. But on this day in history, in 1996, an unidentified eight-year-old boy slipped away from his mother, climbed over the barrier, and fell into a gorilla enclosure. And the gorilla, Binti used her maternal instincts to look after the child.
2: I do remember that. It was featured in video, I think, oh, yeah. on the news and so forth. I absolutely remember that, the instincts of uh, the mother there, the gorilla. So, back here at home, we've got... The very, I think, contentious race between the lieutenant governor, Delbert Hoseman, and uh, his challenger, in the Republican primary, Senator Chris McDaniel. That is going on for sure. And I, I, I listen to the ads on our air here from the two candidates. And. Um, I'm intrigued, I'm fascinated by those ads. The lieutenant governor is obviously going to tout his accomplishments as he sees it, and he does in his uh, ad. And the senator speaks more about kind of his worldview, focusing on uh, his authoring of pro-life legislation and protecting Second Amendment rights. That seems to always be the red meat in Mississippi. Very little discussion about economic matters and issues, which I think should be top of the list. we I feel like, with respect to the abortion issue, the, the state has put into place through the trigger process has activated law that controls abortion in the state. Seems like that's a done deal. I'm not sure what else there needs to be done there. With respect to gun rights, the Second Amendment, I'm not sure what else needs to be done there. There may be some nuance there, some adjustments, but nothing major. I'm far more concerned about economic situation here in the state. I think that's the core problem that we face still the have the lowest per capita income the lowest household income and the only way to lift those figures up and to see more people prosper is by expanding the private sector so we need we need policy we need our government we need our leaders to implement good economic policy and and uh, to also promote our state. One thing I will say about the governor, he understands that. He gets that. He understands government's role. More than anything, I'll say positive about the the governor is that he, he gets that. He doesn't think, I hear from the governor's mansion, can run the economy of the state. He understands that, that the job, that the proper role of the state government is to stay out of the way and just to create an environment that serves as a catalyst for growth and economic investment and expansion. And I've talked to him about that privately. I've seen him discuss it publicly as well. I, I totally believe he believes that and gets that. When we come back, uh, I've gone through a couple of other sort of contrasting points between the two candidates for lieutenant governor. Get your take on it. Something else, folks, if you're so inclined to do so. What's important to you? What What do you want to see in the next four years here in Mississippi? Because we're about to go to the polls and elect our state leaders, statewide level, of course, all the offices and members of our House and Senate and the legislature as well. What do you want to see? What are your Policy priorities, legislative priorities. Coming right back with a final segment on Middays. Stay with us.
1: Middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. The Super Talk, Mississippi. This is what we stand for.
2: So on the subject of MTV, that was a pretty good one, too. You agree? Oh, yeah. That's a good one. I like Boys of Summer, too. That's a good, good video. With the, uh, what the heck you call them? The sunglasses? The popular sunglasses that he talks about. Wayfarers? Is that what they're called? Yeah, Rayman Wayfarers? Yeah. Those were popular at the time. I think that's in the lyrics of Boys of Summer, right? So Thomas wants to cut PERS benefits. Right, Thomas? So Thomas says, I want to see income tax elimination. I do appreciate you sending. I think this is important because I don't – I'm not convinced the candidates here, talking about the lieutenant governor, are really focused on those things. So I I hear – Lieutenant Governor Hoseman taking credit for various legislative victories, I hear Chris McDaniel saying Delbert stood in the way of these things, these other things. So I'm not sure that that's sufficient, in my view, uh, to contrast the candidates when you think about casting your vote. And uh, Thomas says that I want to see income tax elimination and reduce government spending. Which candidate stood in the way of those? But I'm no under no illusion that McDaniel will let conservative legislation get to the floor more often than Delbert. When here, where he claims to be the reason for lower taxes and less spending, last I checked, spending is up. Well. Spending is de- so it's it's political speak. Spending is down as a percentage increase, but the biggest thing that that he touts is really not so much spending being down. If you think about it and you listen carefully, there, Tom, he talks about paying off the debt and not borrowing any more. So, it, it, the terminology he uses in his speeches is we're we're paying off your credit card and we're sending you back more money at the same time. That's true. As a, as a Is a metaphor, if you will. Uh, The deal about letting legislation get to the floor, I think you're grossly underestimating. No, I know you are, Thomas. That there are many members in both chambers that are in the same camp that are hesitant, certainly in the Senate, oppose full income tax elimination. There's no question. So while I certainly understand and agree when you're at the high level a lieutenant governor, you're going to take credit for all the good stuff that happens, but you know what else happens is you get hung with all the grievances. That's just the way it works. You're in charge. You're the top. But the fact of the matter is you're not a dictator, and to get legislation passed, it's got to pass through the channels. Fortunately, that's the way our system works. Those are the checks and balances and the Design to force the governing principles to be more thoughtful, more deliberative. That's the way it's supposed to work. What'd you laugh about? Somebody said something.
0: No, it's a headline that just came across from uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. It's a great way to end out the show. A man has been arrested in Louisville, Kentucky and is facing felony assault charges after shooting his roommate in the butt during a fight. Because the roommate ate the last hot pocket.
2: (laughs) You ate my last hot pocket. Boom. Good grief. Thomas, it don't go to the floor because it won't get voted on. What What do you want to go to the floor, man? You know tax elimination didn't get to the House floor this year, right? You are aware of that. Or did you just forget that? And you're not happy about appointing chair. So I understand that one of the grievances a lot of people have, I have concerns about that as well, is that the lieutenant governor appointed Democrats to certain committee chair. So did Phil Bryant. So did Tate Reeves as, as lieutenant governor. But keep this in mind if you don't appoint any Democrats, okay, you have more committees than you do Republicans in the Senate members. Not in the House, but in the Senate you do. Because there only, only 52. I believe there, when we looked it up, like 46 committees, which is insane. About half of the committees that Democrats chaired got no bills. So while I understand the concern about appointing Democrats to those committees, and I may not agree with that, the alternative is eliminate some committees. And I would say, yeah, probably need to, especially those that didn't get a bill. Or the other alternative is you would appoint Republicans to multiple committees. I'm not sure if that's doable or not, honestly. But those are the alternatives from a mathematical perspective. Uh, The bigger question is, is there any legislation that either did not get out of committee as a result of a Democrat being in charge of it, or that did get out? In which case, then it's got to be voted on. So what, what were the consequences of that? I think it's something we need to look at. We're out of time here today. We are down at the Armed Forces Museum tomorrow in uh, Hattiesburg, Camp Shelby. Until then, stay safe. God bless. A super talk
1: Mississippi Media Production.